bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 18th, 2011. I'll start this week with yet another update on the Super Committee's progress. Then, I'll summarize legislation that was introduced last week that would amend historic tax credit rules that would allow local governments to partner with private developers in order to use the historic tax credit to rehabilitate aging public schools. I'll also discuss a report that was released last week that discusses how to implement solar PV projects on historic buildings as well as in historic districts. Then, I'm going to turn to the Renewable Energy Tax Credit section and review findings of a report that was released last week. And that report found that a one-year extension of the Section 1603 cash grant program would support more than 37,000 jobs in 2012. I'll also share some comments that were made last week by government leaders regarding the need for additional political support for renewable energy. That That support is particularly needed in light of the Solyndra issues. Then in our Low-Income Housing Tax Credit segment, I'll summarize briefly a blog that I posted last week about the possible effects of tax reform on the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit. I'll also discuss disaster relief that's being provided to certain Low-Income Housing Tax Credit properties in the state of Pennsylvania. Finally, in the New Market Tax Credit discussion, I'll share a synopsis of a blog, a blog that I posted last week regarding what tax reform could mean for yields for New Market Tax Credit investors. I will also preview one of the special events we have planned for this week's New Markets Tax Credit Investors Conference in Chicago. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, even though the House of Representatives is in recess this week, or I should say in district work periods, and the Senate is scheduled for a recess next week, or I also should say a state work period, the 12 members of the Joint Select Committee on Deficit Reduction, also known as a Super Committee, will remain in Washington to do their work. The Super Committee is supposed to identify ways to cut the federal deficit by $1.5 trillion over 10 years, with a deadline of November 23rd to get legislative language approved through the committee and on to both houses of Congress. However, even members of the committee aren't convinced that the group will be able to strike a deal by the deadline. For instance, The newspaper Politico reported on Friday that Congressman Chris Van Hollen said that he wasn't sure if supercommittee members will ultimately resolve their differences. According to Politico, Van Hollen reiterated on Friday that the panel would realistically have to submit their plan by the very beginning of November. Now, that's in order to get it scored by the Congressional Budget Office. Now, rumors continue to circulate that the committee's work could result in a mechanism for tax reform next year emphasis on mechanism. It's widely agreed that comprehensive tax reform is too great a task given the Super Committee's November 23rd deadline. It's considered much more plausible that the group could recommend a structure that would pave the way for tax reform in 2012. That being said, 
Most commentators believe you could not do tax reform in an election year. Meanwhile, another milestone in the supercommittee's timeline did pass last week. That deadline was for House and Senate committees to submit recommendations to the supercommittee. And the deadline was Friday, October 14th. Now, this was an optional deadline. No committees were required to submit input. The Ways and Means Committee Democrats did choose to provide recommendations, and those recommendations were released to the public. The group urged the supercommittee to pursue an approach to deficit reduction that includes significant revenues. In their letter, the Ways and Means Committee Democrats also suggested a number of provisions to boost job creation, job creation that they think the supercommittee should pursue. These ideas included additional infrastructure financing under the now-lapsed Build America Bonds program and an extension and expansion of the Section 48 Cap C Advanced Energy Manufacturing Tax Credit. They also made reference to a bill that should be supported by the supercommittee, and that bill would have allowed the New Market Tax Credit to offset AMT. Turning quickly to other tax reform news, there are rumors that the Republicans on the Ways and Means Committee may release a draft of a corporate tax reform bill sponsored by Chairman Camp this week. Now, this would be coming through the Ways and Means Committee and not the Supercommittee. Obviously, Chairman Camp is chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. He's also a member of the Supercommittee. Now, the current expectation is that this draft corporate tax reform bill would be limited in details to two items, for foreign tax purposes using territorial-based system, as well as a proposed corporate rate of 25%. The rest of the draft would simply be other sections of the bill identified but no draft language. Now, we think the purpose of the release is to solicit feedback and comments from the business community. So look for that, and you can follow me on Twitter because I'll tweet the moment we see a draft. In historic tax credit news, Virginia Senators Jim Webb and Mark Warner last week introduced the Rehabilitation of Historic Schools Act of 2011. This bill, which was introduced as S-1685, would amend existing law to allow local governments to use the Federal Historic Tax Credit to rebuild deteriorating public schools. Now, as many of our listeners know, currently there's a restriction on the use of a property, and this use of property limitations prevents the local governments from partnering with private developers to use the historic tax credits for rehabilitating public schools. Now, S-1685 would lift this restriction as it applies to K-12 public schools and as such would allow communities to partner with private sector developers to rehabilitate older public school buildings. Supporters of the measure cite the American Society of Civil Engineers 2009 report card for America's infrastructure wherein public school facilities were graded and they received a grade of D. Now Senators Webb and Warner did introduce identical legislation in the last Congress. Also, a bill was introduced in the House in the last Congress by Congressman Eric Cantor. Right now, it's unclear if Congressman Eric Cantor, who's now the majority leader for the Republicans in the House, will reintroduce the bill this year. The bill's sponsors report, though, that the measure being introduced in the Senate does have broad bipartisan support from leaders such as Governor Bob McDonald, that's the governor of Virginia, as well as House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. It also has the support of former governors and current Senate candidates George Allen and Tim Kaine. Now, we'll track the bill's progress online 
at www.historictaxcredits.com. Let's turn now to NREL. That's the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. NREL last week released a report entitled Implementing Solar PV Projects on Historic Buildings and in Historic Districts. This report was made possible through funding from the U.S. Department of Energy, or DOE, and, and within the DOE, it was part of their Solar America Communities Program. The Solar America Communities Program is designed to increase the use and integration of solar energy in communities across the United States. Now, the report's authors acknowledge in their report the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Their staff contributed to the development of the report by providing historic preservation expertise. Further, in a blog posting last week, Jenny Buttenborg, a field officer in the Denver field office of the National Trust for Historic Preservation, described how NREL developed a report that was released last week and describes the role that the National Trust staff played. Now, Jenny also explains how over the past several years, with the steady growth of PV installations, preservationists have become increasingly engaged in determining the appropriate application of solar panels to historic properties. The blog, by the way, can be found online at blog.preservationnation.org. That's blog.preservationnation.org. Historic preservationists believe that preserving, reusing, and maintaining historic structures is a key sustainable design strategy, while they also recognize the importance of accommodating renewable energy technologies where they're appropriate. In the report, NREL notes that in some cases, conflicts have arisen over the installation of PV panels on historic properties. NREL says that addressing these conflicts and providing guidance regarding solutions and best practices is an important step towards resolving or eliminating barriers. As such, over a period of two years, in 2007 and 2008, the DOE designated 25 major U.S. cities as Solar America cities. DOE provided financial and technical assistance to help the cities develop comprehensive approaches to accelerate the adoption of solar energy technologies. Now, as part of this program, DOE identified the implementation of solar projects on historic properties and historic districts as one area they needed to address. To that end, a workshop was held in Denver, Colorado last year, June of last year, as a matter of fact. Participants included representatives from the solar industry as well as historic preservationists. The historic preservationists were from nonprofit organizations and government agencies at the local, state, and national levels. Among other things, workshop participants discussed some of the challenges involved in locating PV systems on historic properties and the identified potential solutions. Now, the report that was released last week is based on the discussions that occurred at the workshop and the recommendations that were developed by participants. In its report, NREL says that early identification and engagement of all relevant stakeholders are large determinants of project success. You can find a copy of the report online at www.historictaxcredits.com. And if you have any questions about implementing or placing a solar PV project on your historic property, Give my partner, Tom Bosha, a call. He's in our Cleveland, Ohio office. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, last week, the Solar Energy Industries Association, or SIA, released a report entitled Economic Impact of Extending the Section 1603 Treasury Program. This report examines projected job growth 
and solar deployment associated with one, two, and five-year extensions of the Section 1603 Cash Grant Exchange Program. Now, based on an analysis, analysis that was done by the firm EUPD Research, SIA reports that a one-year extension, just a one-year extension of the Section 1603 Cash Grant Program would result in the solar industry supporting over 37,000 jobs next year in 2012. SIA also reports that more than 100,000 Americans work in the solar industry. Now, this 100,000 is double the number employed in the solar sector in 2009. Supporters of an extension of Section 1603 argue that solar is a proven job creator, a proven job creator at a time when the unemployment rate, as we all know, is very high for the country and is stubbornly high. The program, the 1603 program, is set to expire on December 31, 2011. SIA argues that the state of financial markets and the availability of tax equity are still woefully inadequate to meet demand for renewable energy projects. You can find a copy of the report online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Meanwhile, moving from solar to wind, U.S. Interior Secretary Ken Salazar underscored the renewable energy industry's ability to generate economic development, and he called for continued and unwavering commitments from the industry and government alike. Now, he was speaking to the attendees at the Offshore Wind Power Conference and Exhibition. This was a conference and exhibition that was held last week. Secretary Salazar called for extensions of the investment and production tax credits as they relate to wind. He said, quote, We can't do this alone. We need to keep the pressure on Congress to implement policy that makes for a long-term sustainable wind industry. This includes an extension of the investment tax credit and production tax credit for wind energy. So there's financial certainty, and so that we don't face the boom and bust that we saw in the 1970s with solar power. Close quote. Now, during a media event at the same conference, Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley said, and I also quote, Our greatest challenges are not primarily financial, nor are they technical. Our greatest challenges are political. Close quote. In local housing tax credit news, as regular listeners know, one of the goals of tax reform is to broaden the base to lower the rates. And in this effort, various tax expenditures will be reduced or eliminated as part of broadening the base. Obviously, the long housing tax credit is a tax expenditure. However, in this world of shared sacrifice, the volume cap of long housing tax credits does not have to be reduced in order to accomplish deficit reduction in tax reform. In fact, as I explained in a blog that I posted last week, the tax expenditure cost of the low-income housing tax credit will be less under several current tax reform proposals, even if the volume cap is left unchanged. In my blog, I examined two proposals and their possible impact on the cost of the low-income housing tax credit. These proposals would be a reduction in the top rate from 35% to 25%, and also an extension of residential rental depreciation lives from 27 and a half to 40 years. I invite you to read the blog. It's online at novogradic.wordpress.com. I'd like you to share your thoughts as well in the comments section. Now, turning to Pennsylvania, last week the IRS issued Notice 2011-83, which grants certain Pennsylvania low-income housing tax credit properties relief from certain Section 42 low-income housing tax credit compliance requirements. 
The move was intended to provide emergency housing relief that was needed as a result of the devastation that was caused by Hurricane Irene or Tropical Storm Lee. Under the ruling, the IRS will temporarily suspend income limitation and non-transient requirements for low-income housing tax credit properties that have received approval from the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency to rent vacant units to individuals displaced by natural disasters. Other rules and requirements of Section 42 will continue to apply during this temporary housing period. You can find a copy of Notice 2011-82 online at www.taxcredithousing.com. Now, if you're thinking about using this rule, I'd encourage you to talk to Jim Kroger or Thomas Stagg in our San Francisco office. There are a number of issues that you need to consider before you allow tenants to move in that don't otherwise meet the income limitations or non-transit requirements. You probably would also want to talk to your tax credit investor. Turning to new market tax credit news, as new market tax credit professionals know, the new market tax credit reduces income tax basis. This essentially makes the new market tax credit a taxable credit. In another blog posting that I made last week, I discussed the implications of the taxable nature of the new market tax credit in the context of tax reform. Now, the bottom line is, if the top corporate tax rate is reduced as a part of tax reform, then if you assume the same dollar price for tax credits, investor yields actually rise. Yes, they actually rise. I invite you to visit my blog to read how this works. The blog's at novogradic.wordpress.com, or you can just type Novogradic blog in any search engine, and it'll probably take you there. Now, I will be in Chicago this week. Joining me there this week will be more than 500 community development professionals. Now, we're gathering in Chicago for the Novogradic Company New Markets Tax Credit Investors Conference. There are a lot of special events, but one of those that we have planned is a ceremony where the Novogradic Community Development Foundation will honor the winners of its fourth annual Community Developments Awards. We believe the winners and honorable mention recipients of these awards are truly representative of some of the best that the industry has to offer. The NCDF's awards recognize the contributions of individuals at the federal, state, and local levels who have had a particularly strong impact on the field of community development. They also recognize CDEs that have made exceptional community development investments in small businesses, operating businesses, real estate, and both metro and non-metro areas. The winning CDEs were chosen for their well-executed vision, measurable, quantifiable community impact, and a commitment to establishing positive change by bringing more people and places into the economic mainstream. If you aren't already registered to join us in Chicago, it's not too late. Simply call 415-356-7970 or go to www.novoco.com backslash events to register. I hope to see you there. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I also wanted to share with our listeners that yesterday, October 17th, was a milestone for the firm. Yesterday marked the 22-year anniversary of Novogratic & Company. We're proud of the contributions we've been able to make in the affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy areas. And we look forward to being able to help our clients and prospective clients in those areas in the coming years. We'd like to personally thank each and every one of you for all the support you've shown us over the last 22 years. And, as always, please join me again next week 
for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP, is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.